we are back. It's Geeks and Gus season three. It's been a little while, but life got in the way a little bit. Me and Philly have just been talking about life getting in the way. <laughs> so, but we are back now. It is season three. We have we're calling this uh, season three Gus to Cust. Yeah, because a lot, of, a lot of guests are from all over the world this time. So, it's very exciting. But yeah, so we are back once again. We're going to be talking about gigs. We're going to be talking about Gus with lots of great guests. Tonight's guest is from the wonderful Gamma Bomb, the Thrash Titans. We've got Philly in the house right now. Hi, hello. Hello, Philly. Hello, hi. Or should I say, Good day. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, Philly, thank you for being our first guest of season number three. I am genuinely honoured. I am a big fan of Gigs and Ghosts. Uh, I listen to it on the regs, as I do virtually. That may not be a compliment, though, because I listen to virtually all Supernatural podcasts. <laughs> because the, basically, uh, the every, basically everyone that's ever made, I just listen to it. So maybe my bar isn't that high, but I've been really enjoying Gigs and Ghosts, so it's great to be on, and I hope I can conjure up some chilling tales for you. But which other podcasts have you been listening to? I listened to, uh, so I listened to Unexplained, your man Richard McLean Smith's one. He talks a bit slow, so I speed him up a bit. I do him on one and a quarter speed. Uh, I listened to Uncanny, which is the Danny Robbins one for the BBC. That's fucking great. Yeah, it's really good. It's really well produced. And like he has the panel and everything on it. It's a TV show now as well, which I'm recording. I just saw, I just saw my brother. I'm recording it off telly. Uh, And I also tell you what I love. There's an amazing one called Monsters Among Us podcast. You ever heard of that one? I've oh, not. It's awesome. Do you know what it is? It's this guy in America. And uh, his name is Derek. And he talks like this. Thanks for calling in. And what he does is he has a free phone number in America. And Americans ring it and leave voice notes of their supernatural experiences, like UFOs, ghosts. And so each episode is him just being all like, here's John from the Great Plains of you know, Minnesota or whatever. And then you'll get a guy, hi, I was driving on the I-96 and I saw a <laughs> sky. Just thought I'd call in and let you know. Anyway, I'm a big fan of the show. Thanks so much, Derek. So yeah, uh, I listen to that a lot. But it's, it's amazing because you can scan through and you get a great cross-section of American wing nuts. <laughs> and there are many, many cross-sections of America. <laughs> <laughs> so, Philip, how we're going to do this today is we're going to start in the past of you. Okay. In your musical adventure. Sure. Then we're going to hit the present of Philly and Gamma Bomb. Then we're going to go straight forward to the future like a of ghost. Gamma Bomb and, yeah. and, you, and music. And then after that, we'll, we'll get all the boring shit out of the way and then we'll talk about ghosts, the good stuff. Okay, that's good. That's good. So, Philly, here's a question How did you get your start in music? How did I get my start in music? I'll let you know when it happens. Uh, <laughs> how did I get my start in music? I always loved music, and I um with my mom and dad, I'm the youngest of seven kids, and Catholics, um, Catholics, yeah. one for mommy, one for daddy, seven for Ireland. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, with with my mom and dad, the house I grew up in, there were seven kids, and um I'm the youngest, so I was exposed to a lot of music growing up. Um, my older brothers and sisters were listening to all the tunes of the 80s and I, you know, I had quite a grown up exposure to music all the way through. 
Um, and then when I was a, a teenager, I met Joe. When I, when I was like 11, I met Joe, who's the bass player in the band. And we've kind of been busies ever since. And music was a big part of that relationship too. So like Joe started playing the guitar and stuff. I was hopeless. I had like, I had ideas that I was going to play the drums. I couldn't get a drum kit for the life of me. My dad turned up one night. He must have robbed it. He's a bit of an Arthur Daly, my dad. He, he showed up. He showed up basically sped around the corner of the house, jumped out with the car basically still going and put like an old hi-hat stand on a split welded cymbal down and went, I'll get to the rest later. Jump back in the car and sped off and then the, the rest never materialized. So I used to have this. I used to have this. <laughs> out in my mom's utility room and I got some sticks and I used to sit and play the hi-hat. <laughs> so like, it became apparent that drums probably wasn't going to be the big thing for me. So um, I got a bass, but the bass I got was like 15th hand and it was broken and it didn't work and stuff. So it was more about looking good holding the bass. So yeah, that tells you the sort of level of, of genius that was there. And then when we're a bit older, <clears throat> when, uh, when we were like going to college, Joe had already been in a few covers bands and he was in a covers band with Luke Graham this guy and Joe and I had managed to play a handful of gigs as teenagers um, on St. Patrick's night when when we were 16 in 1999 we played a gig which was like whoa we played a gig and I played the bass and Joe played the guitar and that was a real taste of like fun you know because a lot of people came down teenage gig you know bass was round function room yeah. of the <laughs> of the St John's Bosco Catholic Sports Club and um, so we played in there and that was really cool and then Joe kind of kept going and I didn't and he was in this metal band and their singer kind of crapped out on them uh, and we were having a, a carry out in Joe's garage <clears throat> Joe's garage is like the size of a normal person's house right and oh it's from Joe. money well they've the, the made smart moves smart moves uh, yeah. <laughs> They bought a house right beside uh, the massive police station in Uri and then their house got blown up with the IRS. So, you know, their house was massive and old, but the IRA blew it up. So, you know. Um, so, yeah, like Joe was in this band. We got drunk one night in Joe's garage and there was this other lad there and he, he really sort of fancied himself. He was just a bit of a... At that time, he was a bit of a dork. We were all teenagers. And uh, he was singing Child in Time by Deep Purple, along with this vinyl that was playing. And I just got a bit sick of him, you know, sick of him doing it. And then yeah. I started, I, so I started doing it, ah! right? And I was doing it over him, and I was way better at doing it than he was. Like, I was, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was really loud and fucking really clear, and I could do really high notes. And he was like, ah, you know, he was kind of playing along trying to do it, but I was just like, I just started crushing him with it. Every time he tried to do it, I would go, I got this good. So that was a whole laugh at the time. And then uh, a couple of weeks later, Joe was like, oh, we're going to, now we're going to have all different people come up and do a gig because our singer crapped out on us for this band. Do you want to come down and, um, what the Iron Maiden song was it? Something I couldn't, I couldn't possibly have sung it and they couldn't possibly have played it. Like, Ace is, <laughs> like, Ace is high. We were like, it, it, us did, they did. Yeah, yeah. No chance that we were going to be able to play that. But I went down um, to Joe's garage again to rehearse with them and, it wasn't just one song they wanted me to sing the whole set. And it was like, you know, all songs are new, <clears throat> like Tornado of Souls and uh, the mechanics by Megadeth and all this kind of thing. Moto Psycho. Sorry, I don't know if you know, but <laughs> fucking Megadeth, man. Yeah. Just, I just never got it. Well, I was a massive, I was a massive, massive fan of Megadeth. And it's unfortunate to say, but like, 
I think Dave Mustaine is considering the massive rogues gallery of absolute evil bastards that there are in music. He's one of very few music artists who have ever put me off their work with their personality. Yeah. Like Elvis, fucking no end about what Elvis did. Love Elvis. Love him. Yeah. Can't. Do you know what he did? Love Bowie. Know what Bowie did? He did some shit. But like, but then I'm, but then I'm still listening to Bowie and being like, what a fucking genius. Those, that must all be a mistake. And then like Megadeth, he's just such a homophobe and a small-minded person. And it's like, I can't, I can't, I can't have anti-human people. I'd rather have a stupid git than an anti-human person. So I'm totally, I'm totally off Megadeth these days. Also, I think. Well, you know, that makes me like even more nowadays. You know, <laughs> uh, we had a uh, Ben on. The, <clears throat> he was talking about when uh, Eva did some gigs with Megadeth. Yeah, I, I just loved, them. loved it. Yeah, I just couldn't hide my distaste. <laughs> I, I remember being at Sonosphere one year, <clears throat> and I blagged it. I was I was uh, doing interviews with bands for a magazine called Feast, which between me and you and anyone listening, it didn't really exist. I went to Hellfest and everything off the back of that. Yeah, I've done that. I went to Zegit in Budapest for a magazine that didn't exist and spent yeah. a week. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was interviewing people and people seemed to like it. And then the press people kept on messaging me going, oh, do you want to do this interview? You want to do this interview? I'm like, yeah, man, why not? Chris Jericho. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. And then uh, oh, like, we were big fans, right? We were big fans of Megadeth at the time. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, I went down and I sang this set with them and I had to turn my back to them because it was shaking so badly and I was so nervous and stuff. I had to face a face like a, a shelving unit so I could sing. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously couldn't hear myself and all the rest of it. And then just very quickly, there was no conversation really had. There was just like, yeah, we did that and now we're having a beer or whatever. And then I just went back home to my mum's house. And then just like the next week, it was like, do you want to come back down? And it was like, okay. So I just came back down again and then we were just doing it again. So it kind of became a Saturday thing. Um, yeah. We were, I'll tell you what happened. We were home from university, first year of uni, and it was Easter is when this happened. So we were there for like two weeks or three, three weeks or something. So there was quite a few days of going down there and doing it. And then <clears throat> very quickly, Luke had like two songs. So after we'd done like three rehearsals, he was like, I have this. But we had no words for it. And I don't know, we were, by the standards of that time, I felt like we were working really hard. We were rehearsing loads. Mm -hmm. And no one was talking about it being a band. No one was jinxing it by saying the band had a name or anything like that. We were getting better at playing those tunes. Then we wrote joke lyrics. Uh, we wrote these joke lyrics for these other songs. And one of them was Hell Trucker, which we still play. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, like pretty much like we were we were calling ourselves Rattlehead because that was like the Megadeth guy name and that was the cover band. And we played a gig <coughs> um, for our mate Kevy's 18th birthday. <laughs> and I have video footage of it amazingly. In another function room. Yeah, another function room of Neary. I could tell you, man, I could tour you the pub function rooms of Northern Ireland. I could do it myself. Um, and uh, <clears throat> we played that gig, and at that gig, we were already referring to ourselves as Gamma Bomb. And Joe, we'd say, oh, Gamma Bomb's the Incredible Hook. And uh, Joe's garage was also his dad's business. His dad was like a school book wholesaler. So, you know, he would do the big 
big shelving units and loads of books for schools. And it had desks in it, and the desks were covered in writing from all the different teenagers who had been in it, right? And Joe, so writing on the desk was nothing in the garage because it was just wrecked anyway. And Joe wrote Gamma Bomb, but he wrote it wrong because he's dyslexic. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, lol, he has a learning disability, lol. And then, we, <laughs> and then we were all standing around it. And we were, we actually, the conversation almost happened like simultaneously. Everybody said, oh, but if the words are the same length, you can do Dawn of the Dead. And we were like, ah, oh, you can do Dawn of the Dead. And then I actually remember going, and He-Man and Star Wars. And everyone was like, yeah, yeah. And then Luke went home and drew it or whatever. And we were like, right, there you go. So that was it. And we just kept going. I've basically wasted my life since then. Haven't <laughs> <laughs> we all, man? But, but in a fun way, which is cool. Oh, man, totally. Jesus, I could have wasted it doing something that was no crack. Exactly. Exactly. Have you always been just uh, from the start of your love of music? Have you always been metal? No, not not remotely. No, although I've always um, I've always had a taste for like um, heavier music of one kind or another. Like ever since I was a wee kid, I was very like I saw Metallica on the TV and I was like, oh, that's kind of scary. And when I was like eleven, um, I used to go into my, as you would if when you have older brothers. If they went out of the house, you would go in and dig through their stuff. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I was digging, I, but like it was always digging through the music, really. And um, our Gavin uh, has amazing taste, absolutely amazing taste in music. And I sort of got a lot of my music taste off him. So I grew up listening to the Pogues, um, Buzzcocks, Sham 69, Sex Pistols. Uh, and then later it would have been stuff like Wedding Present, Fugazi, Teardrop Explodes. Uh, and then with my other brothers and sisters, you would have been hearing things like Sisters of Mercy, The Cult, Fields of the Nephilim, The Mission. Um, mm-hmm. My sister Jennifer was mad into U2, so I was listening to U2 from like Actung Baby onwards. Uh, and then like once it got on into the 90s, well, I was like it was all the full gamut. We were listening to Stone Roses and, you know, uh, and um, Happy Mondays and New Order. We played with them. We played with them last month. You played with uh, Happy Mondays? Yeah, that's fucking Jesus, cool. Jesus, how's Sean doing? Fuck me, is he all right? Well, I, I met Bez. <clears throat> well, I was, I was walking out of my dressing room, and Bez was walking out of his, and I nodded at him. He nodded at me, went, came up, put his hand out, went, all right, I'm Bez. I went, all right, I'm Mikey. Then we both just yeah. laughed and gave each other a hug and walked off again. It was great. Uh, that's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, like, I, I, I had a really broad... Uh, musical thing it was as I say when I snuck into my brother's room and I found the double cassette of Life After Death I knew mm. it was I, I don't think you could grow up in the 1980s and not have seen Eddie like Eddie was on school bags and you know everyone drew him on their used to paint him on the canvas school bags 100%. yeah so I remember like I'm, he was kind of scary so you would remember him as a kid so like when I saw the cover I was like yes I've heard the name Iron Maiden yes I know this is heavy metal yes I've seen this monster before and I think I even knew his name was Eddie and then I, I put the tape on and it was I think it was actually Phantom of the Opera and mm-hmm. I got into that track did like the thing to that track and I remember just I burst out laughing because it was like how is this a riff like it was so full of and it was so hyperactive. <clears throat> and then I read the lyrics. And that was kind of what clicked it for me. When I read the lyrics, uh, I actually remember the thought really clearly. It, I, I thought to myself, it's not serious. And um, that actually made me really love it. I was like, they're having fun. This is fun. 
Like it's a, story, it's a spooky story. He's the Phantom of the Opera. He's going to get you. And I was like, this is actually great, you know? It's like really hyperactive music. I'm quite a hyperactive person. You know, and the lyrics were like fun, spooky stories, which is what I'd always been into, always been into spooky stuff. So for me, that was kind of my exposure to it. And Joe was getting into metal around the same time. And then that was that was kind of that. We would listen to Ugly Kid Joe together, listen to a lot of hard rock, like Aerosmith and stuff when we were kids. And then when I was a teenager, I loved um, grunge. Like we were crazy about Soundgarden, Alice in Chains and Pearl Jam. Like I was used to lie in bed fantasizing about meeting those bands. And now I have actually met those those bands um but um yeah so like for me it's never just been a heavy metal thing and to be honest it still isn't really like i'm someone who kind of fell into heavy metal and i've always been happier making it and playing it than i have been sitting around listening to it or you know yeah, yeah. massive david in a festival i still enjoy it and i listen to it but i listen to classic metal and i listen to some bands like say hell ripper like i like hell ripper um but yeah i'm a bit of a, i'm a bit of a dad in that respect you know yeah, no, 100%. I'm with you. It's like, uh, you've heard me probably talk on this in the past, but my love is like, I really got into alternative in the 90s, like, especially punk rock. My brother listened to a lot of things like Black Flag and introduced me to that and shit. And then I was into all that. And then the grunge scene, I was all about that. Ugly yeah. Kid Joe, who, who are very proud to call like friends now, he's just like, I'm on their legends. Like, I'm, I feel like I owe a lot to Ugly Kid Joe because me and Joe were such big fans of them. Joe's big brother, Rory, bought him um, America's Least Wanted on cassette as a joke because it said Ugly Kid Joe on it. <laughs> it was about 10. And so yeah. he was already into them. He kind of liked heavy music when I met him. He was this little eccentric 11-year-old kid obsessed with pelicans and horror movies and comics and stuff. So it was great, you know, we were like made for each other. And um, Ugly Kid Joe were a big part of that. I've only seen them once. We went to see them in Dublin at the Academy about yeah. 15 years ago now, me and Joe went. And yeah. they were amazing. And Whitfield Crane was so cool. Yeah, I've he, Handsome man too. Yeah, and he was he went out with Madonna for a while, so I think job done there. Live the dream, man, live the dream. I lived the dream in the 90s, you know. Exactly. It was like, um, also, uh, I'll... Because I be I do my research. <coughs> sure you do. Yeah, sure. yeah. I, I, I saw uh, your first tour as Gamma Bomb. You actually went out with an amazing punk rock band, the Dangerfields. Well, the very first was Dangerfield and Karloff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was Dangerfields, yeah. And we had planned to bring Dangerfields with us on this UK run now, but unfortunately it hasn't worked out. There's a bit of uh, some health problems and stuff for Andrew. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's some degree of fuckery with some kind of promotery thing as well, but unfortunately we can't bring them. But um, yeah, we went with them. When we started the band, there's a bit of history to this. There's a little fly right in the middle of my glasses, man. It's driving me mad. Or <laughs> one insane. So um, when we first started the band, Thrash, was history it was gone and yeah yeah like it was like being into ragtime music <clears throat> it was like a genre of music that had a time and a place where it was a success it had now died and it was not commercially available it was not culturally available and it had no currency whatsoever yeah and like you could go to record fairs or secondhand shops and maybe get stuff like our band started because the library did a sale, town library, you know, they used to sell off their old CDs and tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they'd be dead cheap. 
and Luke got game over and survived by nuclear assault on cassette. And he got once upon the cross by Deicide and he got among the living by anthrax. And and I think that's kind of what a state of euphoria. And those tapes were kind of what started us as thrash kids. So there was no one, there was no thrash band to play with. The first thrash band we played with was in 2006. We'd been in the band four years. Holy shit. Yeah. So there was no, it didn't exist. So we used to go up to Belfast and Belfast was kind of where we cut our teeth. <laughs> we would get the bus up or the train up or someone's mom would drive us every weekend pretty much for years and we would play in Belfast. But the only places to play was punk places, you know? Um, and like in the aftermath of the Troubles, the city centre had a lot of dead space in it, a lot of dead buildings in it and stuff where there was room to kind of have more creative endeavours in them like, and art yeah. places and stuff. So yeah, like during those years we were playing with like, in retrospect, now I realise what who the bands were. We were playing with Poison Idea, we were playing with GBH, we were playing with Swell Bellies, Go-Karts, Undead, you know. But uh, Brass Wolf, you know, that, that whole sort of hardcore thing. Oh, yeah, like the fact, like it now already sounds like ancient history that I like played with GBH and Poison Idea and stuff. That's already yeah. impossible now, you know. Um, so yeah, like I had no idea about any of that. I'd grown up listening to punk, but I knew nothing about hardcore. I knew nothing about cross punk. I didn't, you know. Yeah, I barely knew about American punk really. So that was a real baptism. And um, sorry, what was your question? <laughs> it was. Oh, it's got some mention of Dangerfields. <laughs> yeah, Dangerfields. So, so, like, the punks in Belfast were really non-judgmental. Really non-judgmental. I mean, they were totally okay with us little middle-class lads coming up and playing this music that was nonsense. Because we were upbeat and the shows were upbeat and I would dress up and stuff and we would, like, joke with the crowd and we were cheeky and stuff. So, you know, they were very kind. And mm-hmm. um, Dangerfields were one of the... Like, like Andrew... Griswold from Dangerfields was kind of the first person who was really good to us and he would book shows and be like come on down and do it you know Christmas shows and all this kind of thing and he was a great mover and shaker in the scene and then he was like yeah I'm going to go and do a tour in Scotland with Carlock Luke our guitar player at the time was living in Dundee up on Constitution Hill in Dundee and he was like why don't we all come over and we'll do like a five gig tour and we were like wow so like we went over on the boat and uh Went over on the boat from Belfast and then like got the train over to Dundee and we were going public transport to go around like Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, Aberdeen, I think it was, or whatever. Lost my voice, second gig, 13th note in Glasgow, couldn't sing it out. Scary when that happens. Ah. So I, I had that happen in Manchester once. It was just I, I thought it was never gonna come back. I, I shit myself. I could feel my vocal cords just collapse in on me. It's like, well, like that's it. I'm done. Well, sure. I, I had it so bad. I had to have surgery. Like you know. So. Oh really? Yeah, I had a nodule. I had um, a polyp on my vocal cords. Yeah. Like a proper, proper injury that you need like a micro surgery for. And it caught that. Like we have like three albums where I don't sing any high notes on them because it took me like eight years to get my voice back. Yeah, I was gonna say that it like have have to change the way you like try yeah. to sing everything. Yeah, and it, was like, it was kind of the physical thing and the psychological part. It destroyed my confidence as a singer. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, even my speaking voice would have been like this, like, for a couple of years. I talked like that. Like, it was a proper injury. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and then I got surgery. <coughs> and, um, as you can hear, I'm really looking after my voice. Uh, I got surgery, and uh, for a couple of years, then I was kind of waiting for it to come back, and it wouldn't come back. I sort of had, like, 
erectile dysfunction of the throat. <laughs> I was like, I was just thinking about it too much and it won't come back, you know. Um, and then um, when I was living in London, we were going to go make the album Speed Between the Lines and I just got absolutely sick of being stuck. And um, We had made two albums where I couldn't sing any high notes. And even though I'd kind of gone to some singing lessons and got more confident and I developed more the chest voice, the oh, part of my voice. Yeah. So I was kind of getting a bag. And then I went to this amazing woman called Edith Arad. She's an Israeli woman. And she, her, her job is she's a vocal coach for people from the West End who have hurt themselves. <clears throat> and she's an opera singer. And she's still going. And anyone who wants to learn how to sing should fucking go and see Edith Arad. London is she, she, she worked with like a, a lot of metal vocalists as well. Uh, I don't know if she has. At that time, she had no awareness of heavy metal whatsoever. The only rock yeah. band she had ever really heard of was Queen. That was it. Yeah. Was oh, really? She was in her late 40s. She wasn't that old. And um, yeah, she's just a classical music person, you know, and maybe mm -hmm. jazz. I think she absolutely loved jazz singing too. So I used to go to Edith and she used to like slap me and shit. <laughs> <laughs> She was like Yoda, you know, she'd come around and be all like, pull your chin up, stick this out, what are you doing here? You know, and I'd be like, oh, yeah. yeah. And if you did it wrong, she'd like, you know, no, do it again. And you'd be like, shit, okay. Um, after a couple of months of that, I got sick of it. <laughs> but uh, no, I found almost spontaneously, but of course it wasn't spontaneous, that part of my voice came back. It was actually much stronger. And I'd kind of find a way to heal around it and work around it. So now, now my voice is... I would say it's better than it has been, but wood, I try to... I try it is very to... strong. It is very strong. Your yeah. top end is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's, and you know, I'm very happy to have it because I I took it for granted for a lot of my life that I could go like this. And then for a couple of years, I just couldn't. And it was, as you say, it was never going to come back. And I really, really wasn't going to come back. Yeah. So that's great. You know? hey! <laughs> so nowadays, I try, not to, I try not to drink too much before a gig. I don't, I don't push it. I let the mic do its job. I let the monitors do, do their job. I'm yeah. really careful about, you know, talking to the sound guy and stuff. And uh, I don't smoke. So hopefully that does it. Yeah, me too. We try to stick to a rule like, you know, we're allowed so many drinks before we go on and so many shots because shots don't really count. Shots don't carry, like pool. Yeah, no, we like we let ourselves have a few drinks. And look here, if it's flying, just picking my nose in a luxurious manner there. If, if, if it's a flying, if it's a flying, we'll let ourselves have a few more drinks. And and our other thing is, if we're on early, you can have. You know. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day, we used to play gigs totally rotten. Like we used, to, we used, to, you'd be blind drunk playing gigs to lie, yeah. you know, stupid. <laughs> no. It's all part of the fun, and then you learn. It and is fun. You try, you try and grow up, and it just doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, you took nowadays we're having to like get the balls off doing the gig. You know, <laughs> you know, it's like now I have to enjoy performing music. Oh, what is that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's like non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you touched on something before which I was going to bring up with you anyway. And it's like, uh, are you saying those first gigs where you would play with people like Poison ID or GBH, how like uh, you go out, you'd have fun, you'd dress up and stuff. And like, what was like chefs and scientists and all sorts. It's like, because a lot of bands, especially like uh, in the metal scene, they take themselves very seriously. I'll say, you know, we wear black and this is it. Rah, rah, rah. 
But you're, I'd say with Gamma Bomb, I think part of the thing that I love about you guys is the showmanship that's involved. Okay. Has that been right from day one? Just like, you know, well, it's a show. Showing off has always been part of it, yeah. And here's, here's the way I look at it, right? Like singing and performing, it's very personal, no matter what you're doing, even if you were just like being a clown or whatever. You're putting yourself up in front of people, right? You're being looked at by people who don't know you and maybe people, even worse people who know you, right? And you're exposing sort of a part of your personality. And when you're singing, you're like showing a sort of emotional range and stuff that you may not otherwise express in normal life. And I think what everyone does to some extent is have armor against that, right? Or a lot of people do anyway. And I think for, I think for lots of people, they're their tough guy thing or their artifice or whatever is the armor. I think with mm. like with like a serious black metal band, in some respect, they're hiding themselves by doing that, right? You know, they're protecting themselves a wee bit by being like, I am Blargnor, the fucking executioner or whatever. Because then you're, <laughs> not, you're not Gareth, right? <laughs> not Gary <laughs> for Messi. <Yeah. laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Like, Because then it's not you getting up there and bearing your soul and embarrassing yourself. It's Blargnor, the, the executioner. Like. Whereas I think in my case, from the off, I was so embarrassed to do it, really embarrassed, like really nervous, really embarrassed. The only way I could get past day one was to make the lads laugh and make myself laugh, you know? You know, again, like it's a, it's a crap analogy, but again, it's like sex. If, if you're not laughing, something's wrong, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Or it's only they're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> After, if she's not in gale of laughter after, <laughs> you know, so, um, so yeah, like for me, it was definitely like it was two things. One, it was how I was able to do it without being like compressing myself into a small cube of shame and embarrassment. And it was also like I didn't find the music was that suitable a medium for very emotionally complex messages. Yeah, you know. Um, you know, it just wasn't, it just wasn't a place for it. Um, so yeah, uh, so that's kind of where it came from. Make the lads laugh, making each other laugh kind of was a way to get past the embarrassment at the start of the band. But then in terms of like the show, our early gigs, yeah, I used to dress up quite a bit. I would, you know, any, any fancy dress or any work uniform or anything that was lying around. <coughs> to tell the truth, I think I did that because I had short hair. Oh, really? <laughs> I did and I think I needed to feel like I was more committed I had yeah, a yeah. ducks arse hairdo you know <clears throat> it was the noughties I had a noughties hairdo and um, before I grew my hair I, I was kind of yeah probably compensating a bit but then like it's also true that I've worn silly clothes ever since and I think part of your job uh, being a musician or a performer especially like in front of people is to sort of not be human. No, totally agree. Totally like, agree. No, like, you know, when I get up and I'm singing, I'm moving in a way and stuff that I don't move in normal life, that people don't move around in normal life. And, you know, you're doing faces and stuff that you don't normally pull because you're doing it on purpose and you're wearing clothes that you wouldn't normally wear. You know, that's kind of the point. The point is to be different from normal, to be bigger and weirder than normal. So, yeah, like, it's always been part of the show. We're, you know, we're show-offs. <laughs> and I think you have to make it interesting. Also, like, Mikey, as time's gone on, man, I've been in the band 21 years now, 
and I've got it, it's very easy to get bored it's very easy to get bored of how things look and all you know I think a lot of metal bands <clears throat> like there's kind of two flavors of metal band now there's either metal band who look like they're from 1998 and are all wearing cyber goth gear or there's mm-hmm. uh like I have loads of twigs and branches and like stuff smeared on my face and I'm dressed up as a minotaur and I have a big cape on over the top of me. Like the ghost thing, you know, but like it's not even... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ghosts, but you've been driven through a car wash of jewellery or whatever, like, you know. So, and I find that mad because it just means everyone is the same. There's just so much sameness in it and they look the same and their t-shirts all look the same and their tunes all sound the same and I just can't have that. I get bored. So... Yeah, I suppose to some extent I'm always trying to think what I could wear or something. To, even if even if it's a laugh at my expense, at least it gives people a laugh and maybe they'll remember. I mean, you've also got the uh, the sick microphone stand. What's that? Your microphone stand. Yeah, I've got like um, I've got different I've got different kind of things for the last album for Sea Savage. I had like an anchor. Yeah, um, which one of the lads referred to as the wanker. <laughs> uh, and now I've got this thing I've got this wicked thing called Rod Stewart which is like um, an LED stick with a mic module on top and it's like a lightsaber so you can like change colours and do lightsaber show yeah yeah so that's what, you know and obviously we'll have Snowy who comes along and does the shows with us and stuff so yeah I was just gonna bring up uh, Snowy next actually <laughs> like um, for people who may not know and if you don't know I don't know why not can you explain <laughs> Who Snowy is, or is it R.I.P. Snowy? No, Snowy's live. Um, is it Snowy's, okay? Yeah, Snowy's our mascot. He's a yeti um, who uh, showed up at my house five years ago and uh, has kind of insisted on being here every minute. Well, keep it down, will you? That's him in there. Sorry. <laughs> he doesn't bring him in. He doesn't like me talking about him. <laughs> Please send help. <laughs> <laughs> what was the, um, I'm going to go up to the bar. I'm going to go up to the bar and ask for Jane or whatever to you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's Sandra. It's Sandra. Sandra. Ask for Sandra. Ask for Sandra. Sandra, please, Jesus. Um, so yeah, uh, Snowy. Yeah, Snowy's our mascot. He's a gam abominable snowman, which is very good. And he comes with us on tour, and he alienates the audience for us. Is what he does. Yeah. And um, like what I love about Snowy is Snowy is um, a mascot who doesn't work properly. <laughs> I love that and I love that everyone else's mascot has not enough personality and ours has too much <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like Eddie what can you really say about Eddie apart from the fact that he sneers yeah Eddie walks around clumsily yeah he loves to lumber He's a, he loves to lumber that Eddie yeah. <laughs> <laughs> almost as if his vision is very limited in some way. <laughs> but uh, yeah so like Snowy Snowy's around and just before uh, just before our first single for the album came out there, I think you touched upon it. He um, he died in a freak explosion accident because uh, he was playing with explosion explosives uh, at the time. And um, just as we were about to have a funeral for him, he actually came back to life. And now he's a vampire. So I don't really know how that works. But if you watch the video for Speed Funeral, our recent single, you'll see all that. Um, he's currently working on developing his own video game. Don't really know why he's doing that, but. Uh, <laughs> That'll be coming out now in a couple of weeks. It actually is. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was uh, watching um, the video earlier. You know the uh, the lighthouse video. Oh yeah, yeah. You're all lighthouse keepers, and Snowy's there, like yeah. taking everyone down and everything. Mugging us off, getting mugged off by a yeti. <clears throat> you know what? I, what I thought about 
that video is everyone in the band is a fucking stunning actor. <laughs> I truly believe that every single you. you were was an Irish lighthouse keeper. <laughs> I think Domo is a good actor. I think let's read all of you. Oh, no, I was the rest of us are good at doing faces. <laughs> well, I was fully invested. It was a tough wank, but I got through it, and it was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, we've paused. No, no, you're moving again. No, no. Uh, but also, uh, I wanted to come up and talk about your yeah, Gamma Bomb, the subject matter of your songs. Okay. Because it's about, it seems a place where we kind of align quite well. I think so. I think we do. Because, uh, you know, it's, you're talking about the eight, a lot of great 80s movies, the greatest time for cinema. Sure. Great 80s horror, sci fi, video games. And there's that been from Day Dot. Yeah, pretty much. You know, um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's where we're from. We're from the eighties. You know, I'm forty years old, and when we were kids, we were you know even in the nineties, me and Joe were mad into eighties stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. which wasn't a thing in the mid nineties. Everyone in the mid nineties, eighties <laughs> were considered a horrendous time in the in the nineties. But um, we loved it, and we were listening to eighties music and watching eighties movies and stuff. So yeah, it's always been a thing. I've got to be honest, man, it's so intrinsic to the band I don't even know how to explain it to you. It's just the, mm. stuff, it's the stuff we're into. And then the fact that this genre, as I said, it was kind of like we're starting a trash band. It was like starting a disco band or it was like starting a it was like starting a, a psychedelic band. It's a thing from an era. It's it's yeah, from yeah. specific. It's like Dixie Jazz. It's from a place on a, on a time. So to be into that, we were obviously imbibing all that stuff and trying to act like that. So playing music that was from the 80s, it made sense to act 80s. Yeah. Um, and also that dovetailed with the fact that we just loved all that shit. So, yeah, you know, Final Fight was a pretty early song. And, yeah, we were we were writing songs about it from the off. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, I feel like we're not massively doing it as much now, but it's still mm. a big part of the vibe of the band. You know, this new album has Egyptian Lover, who's like a really old hip-hop and electro legend on it. it you know, I don't want to give away the ending of the album, but it ends in an extremely Miami Vice kind of 80s way, you know? <laughs> We're still being 80s. We're just being 80s in our tonality, really, you know? So what's your favourite film from the 80s? That's a really hard question. Honestly, that's a hard question. Uh, we'll do it in a different way. Favourite 80s horror? Okay. Okay. Jeez, I'm going to think about that. I'm going to really think about that. Um, We're going to go through a few different... Genres of yeah, movie, so yeah. like okay, so like obviously standouts are things like um, a Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I'm a big fan of Halloween Two, Season of the Witch, or is it Halloween Three? Halloween Two, Halloween Three, Halloween Three, Halloween yep. Two. Yeah. Michael. Long without Michael Myers and the mask. Yeah, so. yeah, it's Season yeah, of the Witch. Red. I absolutely love Season of the Witch. I think uh, probably now that I've got my juices flowing here, I can tell you it's probably the fog, really. Fog is probably my favourite horror movie of the 80s. I think it is like 82, isn't it? It's really early 80s. It is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Jamie Lee Curtis again, John yeah. Carpenter. It's all like good times. Yeah, it's great. And The Thing is also excellent. So like all the John Carpenter stuff in the 80s is amazing. Oh, yeah. Um, and like Elvis is amazing too. So yeah, like I think The Fog is a standout. Day of the Dead had a really big impact on me as a teenager watching it. I absolutely loved it. It's very extreme, it's very grand green old, and it's deliberately nasty, you know? Um, but, like, 
yeah, like uh, as a kid, I saw Fright Night and it scared the life out of me. So that had a big impact on me. Um, Dream Warriors, I love the cheese. Oh, oh my God. Was it, uh, who, oh God, who did the soundtrack? Okay. The yes, fucking hell. Dream Warriors, don't want to That film messed me up. Yeah. It was that scene, that scene. Yeah, that's that, right, that. and the woman whose tongue can shoot out and tie you to your vet. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to prime time, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> what What do you say? Let's get high. Yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah. So like, I love love Dream Warriors, and you know, like, so yeah, that's that's definitely some of my horror picks. And then, like, in terms of action, Commando is my favorite action movie. Me too. <laughs> well, we, we should talk about Commando for the last fifteen years, more than fifteen years, for the last eighteen years. About once a year, with some notable gaps, there have been some gaps, uh, my friends and I have played the Commando drinking game, which is an, what I would call a competitive card-based alcohol consumption system. It's not, a, it's not just drink every time he says this, drink every time that happens. No. That's the ground level of the game. This, the second level is you draw cards, you pause the movie every 10 minutes and draw cards. Each card has an instruction and a quote from the movie. You then play those cards against each other over the next 10 minutes. And uh, like if someone laughs, that's the piss on soldiers card. You stop the play, they have to finish their entire drink. And it gets you totally lamped. And it's got to the point now, 18 years in, where last year at Christmas when we did it, it was called the Sully Summit and everyone was dressed as Sully. And <laughs> we made props. Excellent. <laughs> and... I got in touch with David Patrick Kelly and he sent us a video on the night congratulating us on our costumes. No way. I sent him a video on Twitter. I got him on Twitter and sent him a DM. And I was like, here we are, we're all sullies. And we were like, we were like, DPK, we love you, man. We love you. Woo, DPK. And he was in New York walking around in, in Central Park at night. And he sent me a video being like, excellent work, sullies. And I was like, can't believe that, man. Like, you know. That's so cool, man. And I just, I mean, it's with DPK. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm going to put approved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we got um, we got a video message from Vernon Wells. Uh, we got a we got a tweet from Red On Chong. <laughs> I was in love with her, like massive. See how beautiful she still is. My God. Yeah, yeah, she's amazing. But it's like uh, I was uh, also um, I'm a massive Police Academy fan. Yeah, like, right. Massive. It's like once a year. I'll spend a week where every night when I go to bed, I watch, I start the first one, and each night I watch a different police academy film. The last two, it's a bit of a slog. Yeah, Moscow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. And the one before that. Uh, uh, Miami Beach. No, that's number five. Uh, City that's, where, that's, where he, that, that's the first without Mah Mahoney. Number it's six. Uh, oh, City God. I can't, it's. Yeah, City in the Siege, yeah. City on the stage, yeah. Because yeah. you've got Police Academy back in action, their first assignment, Citizens on Patrol, City Under Siege, Mission Miami yeah. Beach. Yeah, back in, back in three, yeah. But, back in training. Uh, yeah, for, uh, for my uh, birthday a few years ago, my brother uh, got Jonesy to send me a message. And it was fantastic. He yeah, did sound effects. Yeah, I saw him live one time. Did you? Was he amazing? Yeah, he was class. He just does loads of sound effects, you know. Michael, whatever you call him. So yeah, like we're well, growing up, you know, 
were very lucky. We had a decent few videos in the house. Like we had, you know, loads of the police, all the police academy films, and we had the Star Wars trilogy. And I was very good. I actually, <laughs> we did a an EP once, and uh, every song was about a film because I didn't have shit to write about. So yeah, we had Bill and Ted Breakfast Club. One of them, Gleam in the Cube. Yeah, Gleam in the Cube. Yeah, it's got yeah. a skate movie. And I sent Christian Slater uh, the video. I said, hey, I've done this song about you. And he sent me just a little message back going, I really appreciate this. And I heart. Woo, damn. Me and Christian Slater. <laughs> we wrote a song about Willem Dafoe in the hopes that he would sue us and we would get to meet him. You know, that was the hope. Um, but uh, no feedback yet from Willem or his legal representative. So uh, yet, yet, yeah, it could still happen. <laughs> but, still happen. Uh, yeah. Yeah. but anyway, so you are going out on tour very soon. Very soon, very soon. We're we're starting this. When when does this go out? When does this go live? Uh, uh, Sunday. Yeah. Oh, Sunday. Okay. So yeah, we're on tour right now. Um, ah. The tour starts on October 20th and it goes right through until the 28th when we're in Swansea. And then we will be going over to Ireland for the Siege of Limerick, which is an excellent metal festival here, our first time playing at the Siege of Limerick. Um, mm. So yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have London, Sheffield, um, Carlisle, Edinburgh, which is one of our favourite places to play. Um, mm. yeah, and it's going to be great. So please do, please do check it out and come down. Like we're... We're really out there to meet people. And also, we're going to go visit spooky locations everywhere we go. Excellent news. Because <laughs> we're, we're getting very close to hitting that point of the podcast. But before we get there, uh, uh, why don't you tell people, apart from this tour, what is coming up in the Gamma Bomb world at the moment? Well, it's our new album, uh, which is called Bats. And Bats is out on November 10th on Prosthetic Records. Yep, Bats, the spooky animal. The spooky animals that are not rodents. And um, White yeah. mammal. they are mammals, yeah. And uh, the only mammal, uh, what is it? What's the word I can't think of? Oh, New Zealand, the only mammal actually from New Zealand, everything else got imported there. Hold on, bats are the only animal that's native to New Zealand, the only mammal. Oh, really? Wow, no. Uh, that's yeah, the only mammal native to New Zealand. That's incredible. Yeah. Crazy, right? I only learned that the other week. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe my brother lied to me, but no, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> but yeah. It's a very remote island. So yeah, um, that's our new album. It's called Bats. We produced it and mixed and mastered it ourselves. It's the first time we've made an album from soup to nuts ourselves. And we're really proud of it. It's, you know, it's very much the trash that people would expect. But it also has a much broader kind of palette of songwriting on it too. It has some like you know, there's have you heard any of it? Did the guys send you? Have you heard the album? No, as of yet, no. Sorry, Mikey, I'll send you a link after this. It's very broad. There's like there's a tune on it that sounds like a cult. There's, you know, some Judas Priesty type stuff, but then there's also some super evil, speed metal y uh occult tunes and the album ends in this absurd outro, uh, which is Ooh, that's good. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say anything about it. Just going to say Miami Vice. That's all I'm going to say. That's, you know. Excellent. So it's a big album. I think it's our weirdest album. That's what I've been saying about it. Uh, the songwriting uh, came from a very good place. We wrote 30, 30 demos for the album. So like we wrote oh, yeah. yeah, like we wrote loads of really good stuff. And then we made the choices just based on what was best musically. 
it was made with no ego whatsoever. Um, we we were absolutely abundant with ideas, and then we were all really chill about which ones we used. And we took a long time to produce it. Um, we had the drums and everything done, and then we got a bit stuck. I got a house. I've never had a house before, so I had to go and do up an entire house. So that took ages. <laughs> and I did it myself, so I had to go and spend a couple of months doing up a gaff. And that kind of slowed us down, but we're really proud of it. We feel like we're in an amazing place with the band now. Like, you know, Paul, our long-time drummer, left just before Sea Savage. And I feel like the last album went really well. We're enjoying touring and gigging. We're having fun. We all get along really well as mates. It's got a good place in our lives. It doesn't dictate our lives too much. Um, but it's also still a really good way to express yourselves and have fun. And you know what, man? It's all really down to our fans, which sounds like an egotistical thing to say, but... We're not a massive band, but we have this amazing bunch of fans who really get it. Like when we posted, oh, sorry, unfortunately our mascot has died. Everyone in the comments immediately knew how to act. Do you know? Yeah. <laughs> no one was like, no one was like, what's this? What? No, no, he didn't need a mascot. People were like, yeah, yeah. yeah, he owes me 200 quid. That's what everyone was saying. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, we have pretty amazing fans. They've done big things for us. And yeah, and like... Uh, you know, that's that's why we're here doing it. It's it, it gives us the best hobby in the world and the most fun. Well, I mean, what you say about your fan base? I mean, I first put to you what two thousand nine, yeah. was it? And then uh, I booked you. It was last year you came last time, and what a great night! Yeah, it was I amazing. Mean, fucking great turnout. Lots yeah, of great people there. Everyone was just having a really good old time. We'd love to come back. You know what we should do sometime? We should actually fly over and just play at the parish. I agree. Yeah, we should totally do that. Um, we don't I'm need just, to. I'm, I'm just saying, mine and Yeah, I'll mine. It's fine. Yeah, so like the last time we played the parish um, was our. It was 20th. a cake. It was a, there was a lovely cake. It was our 20th birthday as a band. And I tell you what, man, you might know, not know this, Mikey, but we drank 18 cans of Red Stripe. I do because I clean the dressing room the day after. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, man. Uh, so Benny and uh, Joel from Evil were there and a couple of other heads. And uh, between us, I think we drank two bottles of whiskey. You kept coming in. That's the problem. Like, we're in the big dressing room. There was a red stripe in the fridge. There was like a tray, like a full tray of red stripe in the fridge. We're all drinking it. And then you keep coming in and being like, oh, there's another tray of red stripe. And we're like, oh, no, don't stop coming in. But then you just kept coming. So we were in there until about two, three. Yeah, it was like... I mean, the last... Just a... A quick thing about this before we go any further. Tommy, if the owner of the parish is watching right now, it was all part of Ryder. It was all taken care of. It was. It's cool. Yeah, we basically didn't take a fee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was awesome. It's a great place to play. And you know, we loved it. And then Mikey, I was like, as soon as the show was over, I was like, I need you to take me on a spooky tour of the venue here. Like, that's, that's we did do a spooky tour. tour. It's, it's kind of spooky. There's some spooky bits in there, like, you know. Speak, speaky, shall, shall we hit the spooky part? Let's do, it. Let's do the spooky part. That's <laughs> part two. We've done, I, feel we've done like you, I feel like you should play theme music. Do you have spooky theme music that we can play? Uh, Callum, sing some spooky theme music. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the part about... Oh, I'll just edit this part in. Yeah, yeah, you edit that part in. That'd be wicked. <laughs> I'm just doing a theremin. Oh, yeah. Well, we've got a new... Calm's just done a new theme tune, which has got theremin in. Nice. Uh, so, question number one. 
Philly, of Gamma Bomb fame, do you believe in ghosts? I can't remember who it was who said it. I think it was, um, <clears throat> I think it was H.P. Lovecraft or someone who said, I don't believe in ghosts, but I'm afraid of them. Is what he said. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't believe in them, but I will say this. As I've gotten older, I have come to realize that there are definitely things, there are definitely limits and problems with our perception. And mm. that's real, right? That's real. And you can prove that to yourself by getting a bad knock on the head, by getting an eye injury, by taking mushrooms, by getting drunk. Those are all, but you know, by all those things, by getting into a fight, all those things alter your perception of the world around you. They change mm. the information that's going into your brain, right? And I do... I do know that there's some very unusual things. For example, like UAPs, that's real. Like whatever that is, that's real. And it means that we don't know how physics works, right? That 100% means we don't know what the laws of physics are or how they work, right? So if that's real, it's possible other things that appear to us to be inexplicable or impossible could be real, right? So there's always a possibility to keep that open. However, in my experience, in my experience of life, I don't believe that the metaphysical world or the spiritual world is real. I think it's real to people who perceive it as such. I know people who came to see loads and loads of ghosts, basically jumping out of them mm. constantly, like, you know, shamanic healers and, <laughs> and mediums and all this. And I would never gainsay their experience, but I do find that there's sort of corroborating factors with nearly all these stories. Nearly everybody has a bit of a tell when they tell one of these stories, but you kind of go, no, don't massively buy that. Um, one or two weird things have happened to me in my life, but I'm someone who goes out of the way to go and find ghosts, and I just don't, I don't believe they're real. I really don't. But I absolutely well, love stories about them. Love, love, I like love to say, them. you mess up me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you know, see you. Thanks for having me on, Mikey. <laughs> and next week on this show. <laughs> you know, go on, Tori. Fuck them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, yeah, do you know what I mean? It's like, it's hard to explain, but like, I'm, I'm a big, like, I'm a massive fan of ghost stories. I'm a massive fan of, like, the the, the history of ghost stories, all the, the really famous writers who have written them. Um, you know, I, I own a whole library of books about this kind of thing. I love real ghost stories, real people's ghost stories. As I said earlier, I listen to radio shows where people ring in and tell the ghost stories. But one of the things that I find really interesting about them is there's always a little bit of folklore element in it. And after a while of listening to people's ghost stories, you can always spot the same little features like a fairy tale it has the same features mm -hmm. where there's there one thing will show up where you're like ah it sounds like now you're saying something that's not real <laughs> or uh, ah, there's a reason why you sound like you might make this up <laughs> and i actually quite enjoy that because after a while it's like oh i've i've heard some stories like i'm from ireland man right so i'm from, I'm from northern ireland county down and you grow up surrounded sort of permeated by supernatural stuff I guess. Yeah, I'm like yeah, and by other stuff. <clears throat> See, you guys don't have to worry about fairies. That's the difference. But like <laughs> where I grew up, like you talk to Irish people, it's not that you believe in fairies. You don't fuck with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yeah, it's like uh, have you seen like in is it in Iceland, like seventy over seventy percent of the country <clears throat> do believe. In fairies. In fairies. Like a, yeah. There's like tiny churches built everywhere. And they have yeah. people whose actual job is, like if a building site goes up, 
his natural person was their job is to go in and go and test the ground and sort of like send the thing out so the fairies know that you're going to be building there and shit like that. Nice. I, I think there's something very nice. You know, part of the irrationality of culture is what makes life nice. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it kind of quite a pernicious expression, like say, like religion where you judge people and all the damn people for things. But like, I think in like folklore and stuff, it's actually really nice. So where I grew up in Newry, it's awash with that stuff. If there, there was a, there was a, a fairy tree, a fairy fort in the field opposite my ma's house, and you could go in and run through it kind of thing. But um, yeah. quite often it's very difficult to build an area in an area that has one of those because you do not touch them, you don't tear them down. You definitely do not demolish them or dig them up. Like that's considered to be an absolutely anathema thing to do. You're cursed if you do that. Now, um, and people is, don't do it. Who, people say they don't believe it, <laughs> but won't do it just in case. But this is it. That's exactly it. So you don't believe in them, but you don't fuck with them. And, yeah. uh, you know, in Newry, where I came from, there's a, a big shopping centre there called the Buttercrane. And right beside it is this housing estate that was built in the early 80s. And when I was in primary school, the teacher told us, he was like, oh, there was a big argument a couple of years ago in this time when they were building the Buttercrane and building that, that housing estate there. He was like, the area had been bought by the developer, but in the middle of it was a ferry fort. And none of the builders would touch it. And there was a huge debate in the town over what should be done. It was getting to the point where he might not be able to build. And then one night, nobody knows who, somebody went down and tore out the ferry fort. And that was the end of it. Somebody took a digger and dug it out. Nobody and then the next day, a man's head was found. Eyeballs on the digger. <laughs> nobody knows what happens anymore. <laughs> His ass cheeks were found on the in the digger. And that was nothing else. <laughs> Just the ass cheek. They, really, they could only identify him by the small, small tattoo of Marco Owen's face on the left cheek. <laughs> I they read were, about that in the news. <laughs> yeah, so like that, that kind of, it's very nebulous to say, ooh, don't believe in ghosts, because where I come from is a place which is all about that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. It's like, um, on a lot of episodes, I'm, I'm going to find a picture. Have you got your phone on you? Yeah. Sweet. Uh, in a, quite a lot of episodes, I've talked about ghosts and uh, this one photo from uh, a friend of mine, uh, Brad, in Florida, who was there. Uh, he's what we call one of you. He was a non-believer. But now he does believe. He's going to be a guest, actually, on this season uh, to talk about this photo. He's also right. got another group. Another gris- uh, before you send this to me, if this is one of those things where you open it and it goes, uh, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> it's just my, just my dick with a tiny sheet on it. <laughs> no, but... Um, <laughs> the afterlife is a harsh place. <laughs> he would always uh, say, like, how he used to be a non-believer. And we were out. He took me around the, the bars of Florida. We were drinking. We got onto the talk of ghosts, because people love ghosts. He's like, yeah, I was a non-believer, until he was on tour in an old hotel. On a video, I'd chat with his missus, like, ah, he opened the hotel, scary, scary, scary. And she was like, stop, stop. And, he was, and she paused the screen at a certain point and then sent him his picture. So he, so he left. Whoa. Whoa. Ah. Shit the bed. <laughs> We're still not showing the listeners and watchers on this show this picture yet, but we are going to eventually... When Brad's yeah, on end comes. Well, it shows, um, yeah, it's... Do you, do you want me to talk about the picture? I mean, it's kind of... Yeah, why not? Yeah. 
Well, there's a bit of a bloody uh, there's a bit of a bloody character in the foreground, and he's going ha ha uh, into his phone, and then in, into the camera, and then behind him in the sort of pixelated dark of the hallway down the far end of this sort of beige hotel corridor is an outline which looks like I suppose you could say it's a dark outline of a person, maybe a woman, because they're wearing a bell shaped garment of some kind. Um, you know, that's interesting. Here's the thing, though. Quite a few ghost photos are, like, they're that pareidolia thing where we're looking for a shape. We know a shape. Here's the thing, like, we evolved. I don't mean to come into a podcast and be cynic. I promise I've got lots of weird shit to tell you. But, like, we evolved for millions of years to look out for fucking eyes and shapes and things poking out at us because that's how you catch the saber-toothed tiger or whatever you, you know. <laughs> you're not on watch for like a big bug or a snake or a tiger or a wolf or whatever, you're dead. Yeah. So like we go looking for faces and we go looking for shapes. Also for the vast majority of human history, other people have been really bad news. When other people show up, it's been really bad news. So we're constantly looking for faces, shapes, heads, arms, legs, bodies. You know, we're very attuned to that. We're the people who survived because all the people who didn't got killed. So, like, this is why, this is why dogs turn around three times before they lie down. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Is that why they do that? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's looking for snakes. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I always thought they all had OCD. No, no, no. I thought that. And then Bear Tolman, that's my dog. Class. I thought you said. <laughs> um, yeah. So, like, yeah, that photo was actually pretty scary, man. And a mate of mine here in Dublin. Uh, my mate Dave, hello Dave, he, uh, his missus works in the tattoo parlour, really cool tattoo parlour in town. And he was in, she was doing a tattoo, he's covered in tats obviously. And she was in doing a piece on his arm and he was watching the football on his phone while she's doing it after hours. And he was saying, you know, it has a rep for being real spooky. And he showed me this security camera footage of him sitting with the arm out, you know, and she's working away, place is really quiet. And about five feet away from him on like an ottoman, a little footstool, is his big gym water bottle thing and it just goes like it's there the shot is like two or three minutes long it's just sitting there and then it goes pop onto the floor and it rolls in a semicircle over to him <laughs> it's really weird and he was just like don't know but here's the thing things like that can happen and they can happen for reasons that nobody fucking understands but i don't believe that that's a dead person even if that kind of thing is possible, I don't believe a dead person can hang around in that way. I mean, you say, but you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, uh-huh. I'm just enjoying waking up now. There's a ghost here with me, actually. Yeah. <laughs> no, was, uh, have you played the Think Tank in Newcastle? No, we're playing the um, Brickyard. The Clooney. Are you playing the Clooney? No. Are they hinted? Are they hinted venues? Well, uh, we played Newcastle the other week, and uh, Steve Jones, um, good friend of mine, was a guest on this, and he said, "Hmm, no, 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 he's much cooler than him. He's <laughs> odd. He sounds like this, Steve Jones." <laughs> but, um, and, yeah, can he? He, he? He's always told me about the think tank and like the ghosts there and shit like that, and. He sent me some CCTV footage, which was very, very cool, of like a guy just in the office and there's a full toolbox on the shelf. And when I was there last week, he showed me the shelf. And, you know, I, I tried to debunk, impossible. 
<laughs> and like, yeah, he, he, this guy is just like working on the desk of this toolbox. He's just there, he just goes, boom. And this guy pops up and shit. But anyway, yeah, he's told me lots of great stories. It was one night, one day there or whatever. He came out of the side door walking down the stairs there. And there were some people walk, two guys walking up the stairs. And he was like, oh, sorry, got out of the way. They walked past on the CCTV footage. It's just him. There's no fucker there. But I wanted to get back up there for a while. So when I was there the other week, he took me on a little trip around, showed me all the, the maze that this venue is, where somebody had died at one point and blah, blah, blah. And then I started talking to the bar staff there. Every single one of them has a freaky fucking story. Like, this young lad was saying about, uh, where, sadly, where the dressing room is, where we all just, uh, sit, where a lot of shit happens. Saying so he was in there once and there, the, doing some bits, and the blue roll, not only the size so it can roll, just yeah, went man. all the way across the bar. Wow. Onto the and there. Yeah, a girl was there, like an orange folder floor was like rolling across the floor. Wow. Uh, they, were, they were in there painting, and there's this like little curtain, and they all spotted like a figure stood in there and shit. It's a creepy place, man, yeah. you know? Yeah, no shit, I don't like And what's. And what do we know about Newcastle that's in books? The fact that nobody in Newcastle has ever told a lie. So, therefore, it goes on as fact. Yeah. So now you believe in ghosts. Yeah, well, it's kind of scary as fuck. Yeah, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't <laughs> lie to us. They wouldn't lie to us, the good people of Newcastle. I, exactly. I <laughs> it's like, uh, since I, I started doing this podcast, the amount of people are just me who want to talk about their ghost experiences. Why do you think that people have such a, a love of ghosts and all things paranormal? Yeah, they do. Everybody loves it. I think Irish people in particular. Um, Irish people in particular kind of grow off of that, as we would say, grow off of that kind of thing. You know, I grew up hearing all these stories about the Banshee and stuff. And I used to be mm-hmm. really afraid that I would see a Banshee. And everybody has the story, you know, oh, my granny saw the Banshee or, you know, all this kind of thing. Like, um, what was I going to say? Um, the, the only thing that ever happened to me, well, like a few things have happened in my life where I'm like, what was that about? But like nothing where we go, oh, that's a ghosty story. It's just kind of like, oh, how did that get there? Or, you know, brain fart. Um, one time when I was about 10. <clears throat> Years old. <laughs> <laughs> when, I was, when I was a 10. No, when I was <laughs> at 10. Back when I was a 10, um, back before the drink got me, um, my oldest brother and my mom wanted to open an Indian, right? Uh, not not an Indian person. They wanted to open an Indian restaurant, which oh, was cool. a scary story. And so there were, uh, in our town in the late 80s, there was no, um, um, one second here, sorry, you'll have to excuse me for one moment. No worries. Um, and we went looking around for, like, in our town there was no Indian restaurant, there'd never been anything like that. Like, it was, like, you know, a small, a big town in Ireland at the tail end of the Troubles. There was nothing like that. So we started going around looking for locations for it. And I went with him because there was nothing to do. I remember the afternoon, it was a lovely sunny afternoon, and we went to this building on what's called Monaghan Street in Newry, and it was the end of a very large terrace of big shop buildings, big tall buildings, like almost like yeah. warehouse size, like 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 a, like a Victorian warehouse, 
big tall townhouses. There probably were townhouses at one point, and all of them were shop fronts. The very end one had been, uh, I think, a hardware shop or a takeaway. Maybe it had been a takeaway. The estate agent gave us the key to let ourselves in. <clears throat> he drove us over there, just me and him and his girlfriend at the time. So we went in and uh, the windows all had grills all over them and there was two big windows on the door and we opened up the door and went in. The front was like a room that was obviously the standabout waiting in a room and I remember it had pretty much nothing in it and there was one door centred in the wall opposite us into the back. So we were in that room, we walked into the back. The back was a lower ceiling room that ran quite deep, maybe like 20 feet, like 20 feet or more in. It's quite a long low ceiling room and it had a lot of rubbish in it now because this house or this building was the end of this big terrace down the side of it was a big gated off entryway leading down to like these garages and a warehouse and all this kind of stuff so there, there was like a little door out to the right out of that room to take you out into that entryway but it was bricked in like when you got out into it it was really weird there was walls on three sides here when you came out of that door so there was you're yeah. really the square you know and then you could kind of see up over into the laneway, but you couldn't get out. It was like stuff on top to stop people climbing in. So we're in this room. There's loads of old paint cans and stuff on shelves. And there's a little small hand wash basin. And I remember walking over, being a kid, as you do, screwing around. I turned on the tap and nothing. Like, you know, the sink was, I actually remember the sink visually was like filthy, covered in paint, dry as a bone. No water had been there in years. And then... But they were standing talking and I was kind of standing looking at them and pottering around the room. And I was looking at the door out into the front room that we'd just been in. And they were standing looking into the room with, you know, they were in the room looking in. Yeah. And I remember specifically <clears throat> seeing the sun slanting through the cages in that front room and just looking at how still that room was. While I was looking at the door, that door, which opens into that front room away from us, it slammed shut as hard as you can possibly imagine it being slammed. It fucking whammed. It could a, a, a poorer door would have smashed it slammed so hard. Mm. Like from it all the way open. Whack! And the door was totally closed. Then our Eddie goes over to it, tries to turn the handle, won't, won't open. And at this point, like, I'm kind of just going along on that, of course. You know, like, the door closed, now it won't open, you know. So, um, I, he's a bit like, it'll be all right, it's okay, it's all right, don't worry. And um, there was no wind or anything. This just happened. So I started sort of going, okay, well, uh, you know, let's look around, blah, blah. And he was like, right, go out that I don't to be side door to the side bit. And he was like, can you step up? I got up on like a, a kind of a windowsill thing out there and I tried to get on. I was like, no, I can't get over this too high. Also on 10, what am I going to do? We're like, right, okay. And she was like getting worked up. <clears throat> And she was kind of like, I just, I have to go home. I really have to go home. And he was like, it's okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll get out in a minute. And she was like, no, I really need to just, I really, really need to go home. And he was like, right. And he found like a pole. I don't know what it was, like a, like a metal broomstick or something. And he started actually like taking off the door handle, like properly, you know, taking the handle off. And it wasn't a big lock around, like a standard house. Yeah. House, you know, lever door handle. And he started busting it off so he could get the metal thing inside it. And when we were standing there and she was looking at it, uh, we were all looking at it, we heard it was like, and then the tap went, but I'm like, water, like, like dirty water gushed out of the tap, whatever tank had finally released, like, 
And it almost felt, and she just went, she lost it at that. She was like, I need to get out of here. And uh, he was like, okay, okay. And then all I remember is that he pretty much got that open and, and that was it really. But um, that, that's the weirdest thing that ever happened in that kind of way. Like a door totally slammed shut. And then a tap that obviously was drawn off a water tank that had never been touched in years decided to turn on. But um, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, I, I can see you trying to debunk it mentally, but I can see your eyes. You know, you know. <laughs> the come cross-eyed with the terror. Yeah, it's really weird. There was no wind, you see. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was no wind, though. It was really weird. The door the door slamming, I can't account for it. I don't know. I suppose it's possible a breeze could have come from somewhere. But, man, the way it slammed, it was a, it was like a person slamming a door. Is the only way it was. Like, because it, as, if, as if someone had taken the door held it in her hand, and as hard as it could have gone like that with us. Like, and they were now. But, um, yeah, so that was that. And then, like, my mom works, she was a nurse, and she worked in Daisy Hill Hospital for most of her career. Um, she was a nurse all the way through the Troubles and saw absolutely terrible stuff. But Daisy Hill Hospital was originally a workhouse during the famine. <laughs> and, like many workhouses, then went on to be a hospital. Um the oldest part of the hospital, she worked in a, in a ward uh, back in the 70s or 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And she was working the night shift and my mum's a real Catholic. And she was going through the ward and a wee man in one of the beds said, who was is, who is your man walked through here? I said, what? And she said, there was a man. Now the nurses would say to each other, oh, it's haunted. You know, they're all women in there. Yeah. 25 to 30 gag at each other like um your, your mom was like yeah man like in a like a dark coat just walked through here like a big man just walked through and this is like in 10 at night or whatever and my mom was like oh okay where'd you go and then she was like he went out onto the lantern there because we're on the first floor in this big ward and she went out onto the lantern <clears throat> and uh her mate was just coming upstairs and she was like did a man come out here and go down the stairs and her mate was like no and she was like guy in here said a big man in a dark coat just went down the stairs and your mom was like Oh, that the ghost? And my mom was like, don't talk rubbish, but, and she then did the most Catholic thing possible. She went and got holy water and sprinkled it down the stairs. Good girl, good girl. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there you go. I mean, uh, my mum, also an Irish nurse, and she's always, hey. told me some, always told me some great ghost stories from when she worked at places. But it's like a lot of nurses I've talked to, of, of people who work in hospitals always have really good stories yeah uh, a friend of mine Jamie friend of yours Carl, uh, he does he's like you one of these non-believers <laughs> but uh, he works in the hospital now and he was saying like uh, how he keeps seeing this guy in the hospital and he says hi to him and then he'll be three floors up a few minutes later and this old man will walk past him again he's like who is this old fucker <laughs> you know Danny <laughs> <laughs> but you when know my, when my sister was uh, my sister's also a nurse and when she was doing her training in Daisy Hill uh, you know the morgue is real scary it's down under the hospital and like the people in the hospital always go on about how scary it is and she was sent down there and <laughs> she had like um, I don't know what she didn't have a body with her she had like a I don't know there was like a woman on a trolley down there or something outside the morgue and when Jennifer was like, can I come in? There was something like your mom was like, wait a wee minute. And she was standing outside in the corridor in like the semi-dark and she heard, help me. And she went, ah! and it was a wee woman who had just woken up on this. I think she wasn't on her way in the morning. She was on her way somewhere else or whatever. And she had woken up. <laughs> in the morgue. 
No, outside the morgue. Oh, it must have been a cheering moment. So, yeah, I have, you, have you, Mikey, have you ever seen a ghost? <laughs> I've, got, I've, had, uh, I've had things where I feel I have seen things and I've just uh, sold my old house, which uh, I'm going to go on record, it was fucking hard. Okay. We called him. We called him Jeff because you know you try to humanize these things, but yeah. that was scary. I mean, uh, my ex partner's uh, dad. He was a non-believer. He came around once, and uh, we used to say, "I oh, used to lock people in the toilet." And uh, he he was like, "Yeah, he's a he's a man's man. God yeah. damn it!" And he went up to the toilet, and he'd been up there a while. Came down, drip white, just drip white, and doing, "Yeah, right, Wayne." It's like someone just locked me in the toilet. You know, it's like a thing where he was in the toilet, it locked behind him and stuff like that. Same sort of thing, you can't open the door. And a lot of things that happened in that house, like, yeah, one morning I came down and um, all the hops were on full. You know, and people, uh, there was like times where I'd be in bed just in the house by myself and there'd be massive bangings on the doors in the house and stuff like that. Internal doors. Hmm? Internal doors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like front doors, internal doors, things slamming, people walking around, footsteps. It's just a, a scary fucking house. <laughs> God damn it, Jeffrey. Get out of that. Get out of that one. Oh yeah, he's gone now. It's gone now. It was like a, it was like an ex-council house sort of sort yeah. of thing. So it's, you know, yeah, it, it had a feeling. It, it was it was always like you'd he just hear shit all the time that you just couldn't explain. Like there's no way. That could happen. I think yeah. one scary one was one when there was a banging on the front door, like do 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 do. It's like oh god. So looking out, to see who the who's knocking at the door so loud. And this was like six in the morning. Nobody there. But then you just saw the front gate slam shut. Yeah. Oh, that's wow. Yeah. So that 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 was pretty spooky. But yeah, there's been things over the years. Um, when I was a kid, we lived next door to Ruby Riddle and her husband. They really liked me. They were old as time itself. And I used to go around and hang out with the old people. They never touched me or anything. They were good. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they'd come around all the time. And then um, he died in it, like, he claimed, well, yeah, he, before he died, he had a, a huge heart attack. Uh, after he sort of spooked him like a giant crow or something, and he had a big heart attack. Not long after he passed away, and Ruby Riddle gave me a little music box that he used to have, a little gramophone. I remember having that in my bedroom, and on the night time, that just starting to play on the night, green sleeves. I, I, I took it apart. I remember taking it all apart and having it in bits, and then it started to play again on the night time. Yeah, shit like that. natural, but like... One uh, like a, a really strange thing that happened one time when my granny <clears throat> went into the hospice. She was in the hospital having an operation on her stomach, which was kind of, I think it was it was cancer, and then she went into mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But she was an old lady, and in the hospital, in the bed next to her on the ward was this lovely woman, very old, thin as a stick, you know, and the color of a candle. And she gave me and my cousin David like cups of. Um, I think it was seven up or the gazette, but she had like little paper cups and she would give us, you know, and she didn't have much to say, but she was a lovely smiley wee woman, like a wee bird in the bed, you know. 
And anyway, then my granny went on to the hospice, <clears throat> didn't see that woman again. And we were there for a couple of weeks. And the, the big corridor that my granny's room was on, you could go down like steps in the corridor, like the corridor went down a hill, kind of. And we would go down to the bottom. There was a budgie down there that my older brother and his older brother had taught to set fuck. So you would go down there, <laughs> get the budgie to set fuck, which was funny. I'd say, fuck off, Joey, the budgie would. And those steps right down at the end of the corridor went down into uh, the chapel. And we would never go down there because, you know, the chapel was all kind of gloomy. And, you know, it's a chapel in a hospice. It's kind of gloomy. Yeah, yeah. And one time we were down there getting Joey to set fuck. And me and my cousin David went down the steps. And, you know, it's really quiet. As quiet as a chapel down there. And <laughs> we actually pushed open the door into the chapel. And when we pushed it open, all the lights were on in it. And there was nobody there. And at the far end of the room, on a trestle, was a coffin. And the lid of the coffin was propped against the foot of the coffin. And in a strange way, I often think it must have been one of the first adult emotional experiences that I had. Uh, because we kind of looked at each other and we didn't say anything and then we walked into the room like we didn't say anything we just walked in and we walked up towards the coffin and when we drew level with it we realised it was the woman from the hospital and we started screaming and we ran screaming out of the hills up the stairs running all the way back and I don't know what it was about it it was you know meeting death I suppose even though our granddad already died and stuff well, there's a, there's really there's um my mate Hilly Campbell who you should totally have on wrote a book uh, about uh, what was it called all the living and the dead about her exploration of the death industry and she spoke to a really famous coroner who said the first corpse you see shouldn't be someone you love you know about being exposed yeah. to and not having it all so tangled up in grief that you should understand the depths and things. And yeah, like I think the first time I really, really registered a corpse was that one, you know. So, Fuck. <laughs> there's something eerie about it. The fact that we just came in and this room was empty. She'd probably only been left half an hour or something until the little service started or whatever, you know, just <laughs> we happened to just walk in and had this big education. Yeah, <laughs> That's, that marked your soul for life. <laughs> really good, man. Uh, I did hear a... Um... A pretty spooky story early today, actually. Also, set in a hospital, and it was like um, an end of life ward. You know, everybody in there. You know, they're they're not going to come out of there. And um, in one bed was a lady who was totally just talking, like I am to you now and stuff. But in one of the other beds was a man. He'd been in there a while. He's out of it. He's not said anything in weeks. It's just he is coming to the end of his his time and stuff like that. But uh, she took a turn for the worse. And as she took a turn for the worse, and doctors and nurses are going, right, it's time to get everything ready and contact the family, everything's drawn on. The man in this other bed um, awoke and just started singing. Um, uh, singing about you know moving on and stuff like that and they're over the talking to him and he wasn't trying to talk to him he wasn't looking at them wasn't saying anything he was just Same. eyes wide just singing away and everything wow and then the second this old lady died and passed passed over he just stopped went back to how he was before eyes shut just totally that's strange that's strange and yeah. he, that creeped the fuck out of me a little bit <laughs> 
is a funny thing, you know, like birth, it's just, it's one of the, it's the business end of life, man, you know, it's the business end. Yeah. And we're all, we're all preoccupied by it and especially people who enjoy heavy metal music. And, yeah. Oh yeah, we're all obsessed. All obsessed. All obsessed. <laughs> yeah, like it's, yeah, I, I love spooky stuff. I love spooky movies, spooky books and... <laughs> You know, so I spent a lot, a lot of time watching YouTube videos of spooky, spooky videos. Yes, not on the night time because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> night times I watch breakdowns, breakdowns of eighties terrible movies. Yeah, <laughs> going up the stairs sideways, pissing yeah. while pissing with your pissing while facing the door. Yeah, exactly. Make sure when I get into bed that my dog's there with me. Having having a shower with your eyes open the entire time. Yes, exactly. Because I'm I not on the shower. Is, the shower is the spookiest. I, I find the shower the spookiest. Do you? Yeah, because they keep to close your eyes and you're exposed. There's a bit of animal. There's a bit of animal logic to it as well. You're in the nip. You're like, you know, nothing to do with gigs or ghosts, but to do with showers. <laughs> gigs and ghosts and showers. Can I give you a tip about next time you have a shower? Sure. Eat an orange. Eat an orange in the shower. Yeah. What is the advantage? You'll thank me. <laughs> I, I was looking, I, somebody told me this once. I was like, what the fuck are you all about? Then I did it, and oh my God, there's nothing quite like it. It's, even, it's better than a beer shower. It's, it does something. It does something. It just opens everything up, and you just feel fantastic. What? So if you're in the shower, like... I'm not like hold the orange under the water. Just eat it. Yeah, just be there. Maybe have it out of the shower. Yeah. Like every often, while the water's gushing over you, start eating that orange. Oh my god, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that because I've always been a fan of the having a beer in the shower. Obviously, that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Orange in the shower. All right. Trust. Uh, but and when you do it, message me and tell me. <laughs> you'll be like, not, not, like you, not like you. Not Film yourself. Film yourself doing it. <laughs> Film yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, lots of soap on you at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I want it like, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, like when you see those title reveals, I want to see the suns disappear. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And the juices. But no, honestly, try, uh, try eating eat an orange in the shower. I'm good. Uh, and next time I'm on here, I'm going to harangue you about its benefits or otherwise. It, it, it will change your life. You won't be able to shower without an orange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, on tour, I'll just be bringing a bag, a bag of easy peelers with me into the shower. And then, and then think, if someone walks in, you can beat them with the bag. So I, I think it is a reason why all bands have like uh, fruit on their rider, hoping there's an orange there and a shower. Have we spooked ourselves out? But I, I do have a, one question I like to ask all the guests. Okay. Let's say ghosts are real. Okay. You're a married man, correct? Yeah. Pretend that that doesn't matter. Okay. Would you fuck a ghost? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, have, I have a mate who says that they have done it. You know Kesha? No, Kirsty. <laughs> oh, okay. Is anyone with an inside with Kate? Yeah. Well, I need to know what they said that. Yeah, I, I can't remember quite what the detail was. Whether it was every time they stayed in a certain in an old bedroom, or whether it was every time they got stoned or something, they felt like like a sort of a sleep paralysis. But it was like sexy, 
and they actually enjoyed it and were like, yeah, I hope that happens again kind of thing. And it happened a few times. I think it was being stoned triggered it. And they felt like they actually felt like a business. Guess he's got a foot, but he was a ghost. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to name which curse. There are many curses out there. Don't want to embarrass anyone by saying that name. Good yeah. for you. Good yeah. for you. No, you go, girl. But um, yeah, I would, absolutely. Do you get to choose which ghost or is it like Mandela? No, no. <laughs> I mean, it could be like a shining. It could be like old lady ghost who looks sexy and suddenly is rotten lady ghost again, you know. Two yeah, yeah, I mean, I still. Yeah, yeah, he is, he is better than the Twin Girls. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast. I just thought it would be like Mandela. <laughs> Nelson Mandela? Yeah, in the sheet, and you'd be like, Nelson Mandela, what are you doing here? I won't, I won't, I won't do the voice, I won't do it. I can do the voice too. The voice. Yeah. But here's the thing you can't. You can't. No, I can't, but I, but I do do it really well. Yes, I know, and I'm also very good at it, but, but those times are behind us now, Mike. They the are, time for, yeah. The time for doing a Mandela voice, that, that's in the past, you know, that belongs in the noughties when people did, when Russell Brand was king, people didn't do any of that. <laughs> Not king of hell. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've learned tonight a lot about your musical history, a lot about Gamma, Gamma Bomb, how ghosts are real, that you would fuck a ghost. <laughs> Which I, I know we can still do yeah. a very good Nelson Mandela impression. <laughs> well, I do a good London as well. I'll tell, tell you what I can do. I won't do Nelson Mandela, but I will do my Christopher Walken impression, right? Oh, please. And I do a one-word Christopher Walken impression. <clears throat> you ready? I am. One-word Christopher Walken impression. Here we go. Hello. There you go. That's very good, yeah. <laughs> Hello. There you go. I've been, I've been trying for years. It almost went a bit Nelson Mandela, let's be honest. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Ah, I didn't do That's it. The show's cancelled. Socks get all over again. All right. <laughs> but, Philly, thank you for joining me for the first episode of season three of Geeks and Ghosts. It has been a spooky and supernatural honour, Mikey. Thank you so much. It, it really has to have you on, man. Enjoy the tour. I'm going to hope to come and see you at a show on yeah, this tour. Give us a shout, man. We're, uh, we're somewhere near you. Come on up and yeah. say Are you doing Manchester? Yep, we are indeed. Yeah, Rebellion. Yep. Uh, yep, we're, no, we're doing... No, we're not Rebellion. What is it? Not Anarchy Brunco, is it? No. It'll be F Institute. Oh, wicked. Yeah. Tom's doing well. That's a nice venue, that. Well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> but I will get... We were doing well when we booked it, put it that way, so hopefully we are. <laughs> but yeah, thank you again, man. And uh, look, forward to hearing, look forward to hearing a new album. And, uh, you know, at this point, we'll see for the next episode. Go get Gavin Bob's new album when it's out. On what date? November 10th, Prosthetic Records. The album's called Bats. And go see him on this tour. And now, hit the theme tune. <laughs>